listener. I only really charge at destination charges. In actual fact, I don't have a charger at home. My closest shopping centre is 10-minute walk. I go up there, plug it in, do a bit of shopping. The app tells me car's ready, pick it up, go back home. I don't even think about it. He is living the dream because, let's face it, charging is a bit of a pain point for a lot of EV drivers. So will destination charging be the go method of charging for the EV driver of tomorrow? The charging market is probably the the biggest weakness at the moment or perceived weakness. And for the first time in nearly four years of owning an electric car, I actually had to wait for a charger and a supercharger. But that's the first time in four years, nearly 50,000 kilometres of driving. What will the future of charging look like for EV drivers? And where does destination charging fit into that whole big picture? That's the questions we're asking on this episode of What's Under the Bonnet. G'day guys, Greg Rust and Nadine Armstrong here with you for another episode of What's Under the Bonnet. Today we are going to be looking at, as Nadine said in the introduction there, the future of charging with a kind of special focus around destination charging. Yeah, that's right. Destination charging still seems to be this sort of untapped resource in the EV community, but when you get into the habit, you might find that you don't even need to rely so much on that at-home charger. You think? Yeah, Be cool. potentially, potentially. And we all love a bit of spare cash in our pocket, so if you don't need to install one. I have Scottish background, so I love cash in my back pocket. Now, uh, we, we sure do love cash in the skyrocket. I also want to know what the future of destination charging looks like. What charge time can we expect? How available will superchargers be, for example? Yeah, and we have the perfect people to break it down for us. We'll also be joined today by Jason Temby. He's the head of new product and energy at Vicinity Centres, so they own places like Chadston Shopping Centre. They've recently made some pretty exciting announcements about charging. Been new for Nadine. She's never been to Chadston. Uh, as always, we'll be diving into listener mail. Thanks to all of you who've sent in some messages, and we'll try and reply to as many of those over the course of Season 2 as we can. And if you've missed our latest What's Report. This is a new addition, a new offering. We're upping the frequency levels of the podcast. Make sure you check that out in the library. It's got all the latest EV news, EV car market update there for you, and our Meet an EV. We spoke to a lovely listener named Cassie who did install, in fact, solar charging at home. First up, though, it's Josh Hovnars from BP Pulse. He actually was uh, recently at the at the Melbourne EV show too, speaking, he wasn't he? He did. He spoke about the future of charging, and he's going to break it down for us today. Now, just before we launch into that, we have some very important news to talk about on this episode, and it involves a big award as a part of the, the car sales annual range of awards. Sure does, sure does. Yesterday, car sales announced the MG4 64 kilowatt as the 2023 car sales car of the year, proudly presented by Bingle. You know what? That's the third consecutive year that an EV has taken the title. Producer Kelsey, we need a bit of uh, like like fanfare here, please. Magic, <laughs> magic for um, <sighs> MG. But just to spend a, a moment there, because I know this is a huge process for all of the team at car sales. You you uh, locked away, you know, deeply immersed in the whole process of judging this. How did you kind of? I mean, we can re- read about it. I know on the car sales website, but how? Did you arrive at this decision? Yeah, you're right. It's a huge deal. I mean, it's just even to be a contender is a huge deal, to be honest, Mm. because we do have a really strict criteria. But the one thing, I guess, compared to our sort of best of awards that we do, the Car of the Year Award, 50% of the score 
goes to the cost of ownership. So our mates at Redbook bring the data for us. And that, that is really important, that maintenance, cost of ownership, retail, depreciation, you know, tyres, that kind of thing. And that is where the EVs are absolutely killing it. And it's really important. So 50% of the vote and then the other 50 is from all of the judges. So well done to MG. The MG4 was a deserving winner. It's fun. It's affordable. It's proof that EVs can be a lot of fun. They don't have to just be an A to B. And MG have done a brilliant job. And you can read more about it when you have finished listening to this episode just by going to the website, carsales.com.au. I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this correctly because I don't reckon my Dutch is great, but Josh Huvenaz is the Business Development Manager at BP Pulse, who we met recently at the Melbourne EV Show. So we've been very excited to get him on the podcast. Josh, welcome. Thanks very much, Rusty. Thanks for having me. Uh, podcast debut, so a bit of a bucket list item for oh, me. Great wow. to be here. Wow. I'm sure it won't be the last time you're on this one, I can tell you already. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see. Josh, it was, for both Nadine and I, really eye-opening how informed people were, the thirst for information that people had at the EV show and uh, some of the stuff you spoke about clearly resonated and they, they engaged with that. What things did you come away from in relation to this whole notion of, of um, charging networks that you perhaps learned or, you know, maybe that was a good litmus test of what was happening at the, at the coalface for, for the public? Yeah, I remember uh, at the start of my presentation, which was on how do we as a country deploy charging equipment efficiently? I asked the question, is this a topic that gets people's blood pumping? And I was surprised lots of people <laughs> raised their hands, which, <laughs> Absolutely. Was a, which was a pleasant surprise. So <laughs> yeah, clearly it's a, it's a topic of passion of mine, but it clearly seems to be stoking interest in a lot of people out there who have moved to EVs or are looking to, to move to EVs. I think some of the statistics we look at s- says that more than half of those who are driving internal combustion engine vehicles now are looking to move to electric in the next few years. So it's no surprise to hear that because having that that charging infrastructure set up just gives so much more confidence for drivers to move to EV. That kind of leads us to the whole idea of, of net zero by 2050. Is the transport industry kind of on track to meet that in your opinion? It's a great question and I think it depends on who you ask. I think there's lots of debate about whether the transport industry in general is on track. There's certainly been lots of great progress made, particularly in the last couple of years as the Australian government, as an example, has set a goal to be net zero and set some, some shorter term emissions targets and BP have done the same. In Australia, you know, circa 20% of our country's emissions come from transport. So it's a significant wedge. We're quite clear at BP and BP Pulse that battery electric vehicles are one of the, the great ways we can reduce the emissions, particularly when they're powered by renewable electricity that means that, that we have a pathway with battery electric vehicles. In terms of progress we've made thus far, it's very early days. Circa 1% of all the vehicles on the road are, are battery electric, so 99% are not. So we're investing in the energy system now at the moment, which is mainly hydrocarbons. But at the same time, we're transitioning capital into what we call our transition growth engines. So they're things like convenience, hydrogen, biofuels, EV charging and renewables. And so over the past three years, we've transitioned from around 3% of our investment or capital in those areas to around 30%. There's still a long, a long way to go. 100,000 charge points is our aim globally by 2030. So we think we'll, we at BP will be a very different company by 2030. Maybe before we get on to what BP Pulse are doing now, just reflect upon where we're at now in terms of the right charges in the right places. How are we going so far? We're going pretty well. 
but there's lots of room for improvement and the task ahead is enormous. At the start of this year, there are around 5,000 charge points, public charge points on Australia's roads to, to facilitate the circa 70,000 battery electric vehicles that we had at the start of the year. So you can sort of run the numbers and work out how many charge points per, per vehicle, around 15 to 20. So we've got a base network set up, but above and beyond just the number of charge points that we have installed, we also have to think about the quality and the type of charge points. So one thing that, that we're looking at is the proportion of slow or AC charges versus fast or ultra-fast DC charges. And at the moment, we think around 20% of those public charge points are uh, DC fast chargers and the remainder are slow. We at BP Pulse are really keen to ensure that there's an increasing number of rapid and fast chargers. And the more fast chargers we have, we hope, the greater the confidence that Australian drivers have to move to electric vehicles and be able to do those long road trips, as well as businesses who are looking to move to electric vehicles as well, who rely on vehicles being on the road and moving for their businesses to succeed. Perhaps before we keep chatting, maybe you could just, for the listeners, tell us what differentiates the AC, the slow versus the fast. So what, you know, in terms of kilowatt hours, I guess. Yeah, sure. So generally uh, AC charges, I think in Australia can go up to 22 kilowatts in terms of speeds. So if we think about the standard battery size in a vehicle somewhere around 60 kilowatt hours. So if you're running at 22 kilowatts for three hours, you're filling up that battery. But some AC chargers are 11 kilowatts and some lower than that as well. And your three-pin plug at home will be somewhere around 1.5 to 2. And in that scenario, that's a 30-hour charge to get a, to get a full charge in a vehicle. So that's AC charging. DC charging generally, uh, well, anything above 25 kilowatts, but generally you'll see them at 50 kilowatts and above in the industry at the moment and up to 350 kilowatts. And a good rule of thumb that we tend to speak about is let's say you've got a 50 kilowatt charger, it can theoretically add 50 kilometers of range for every 10 minutes of charging. So if you're looking to add 400 kilometers of range, that's 80 minutes of charging on a, on a 50 kilowatt charger. So clearly the faster the charging speed and assuming that the vehicle can accept those charging rates, which is a whole yeah, other conversation, whole other, yeah. <laughs> uh, that really reduces the, the wait time and dwell time for, for drivers. So Josh, it's a birthday month basically for BP Pulse, right? I think you guys launched in November 22 with the announcement of 600 charging stations across the country. So you are really banking on EV uptake, right? So what are you predicting? What are the forecasts look like? We are, yeah. It is, uh, it is our first birthday just a couple of weeks ago. And we also marked that birthday by celebrating 100 charge points being installed within the year. And that's for us is uh, very early days. We've got so much work to do. Before we look forward, I like to look back a little bit as well and just see where we've come over the last couple of years. I think in 2021, just two years ago, around 2% of all vehicle sales in Australia were battery electric. The year after last year, 2022, around 4%. So that proportion doubled. We're on track to double again this year, so up to 8%. In terms of what comes next, we don't have a crystal ball, but the best thing we have is a, is a global economic and insights team that we rely on who develop forecasts for the way that energy is tipped to move into the future across all the different energy vectors, electricity, hydrogen, biofuels, and across all vehicle types. The three different scenarios that we look at, but one we tend to look at quite a lot is the net zero scenario. And that particular scenario predicts that by 2030, we'll have roughly 10% of our vehicles on the road will be battery electric, and that's circa 50% of sales because it takes some time, obviously, for the, for the actual uh, total vehicle fleet to transition. And then by 2050, it's close to 100%, upwards of 90% of all vehicles will be battery electric. And we're seeking to invest in accordance with those curves and those forecasts so that we can enable that transition at that pace. Of course, we talk a lot about sort of general consumer personal use, but it's 
transport as a whole really, isn't it? It's not just about somebody, you know, popping over to charge their car. Yeah, cars are just one uh, side of the equation, of course. By 2050, we think around 75% of vehicles will be passenger vehicles. So the vast majority passenger vehicles and less than 20% will be commercial vehicles. But when we look at the energy demand that all those vehicles have, over half of that demand will be from commercial vehicles, even though they make up less than 20%. So they are the heavy hitters of, of the vehicle world. Obviously, they're very, very large. The energy demand per kilometre is bigger, but also they tend to travel more kilometres, greater distance every single day. And so when we're thinking about future electric vehicle charging infrastructure, we need to think about the 75%, the passenger vehicles, but equally, we can't leave out commercial vehicles and whether they're charging on the road, on the go, at public charges. We need to think about how do commercial vehicles literally fit into car parking bays. And we, we talk about having drive-through bays and, and things like that, just as we've done with fuel over the journey. Transport's so important for us to, to grow and thrive as a society. So well, we have conversations with some of these entities and they say the best charger is the one that's available. Um, <laughs> in some sectors... We, we have conversations where they would like to increase the number of battery electric vehicles in their fleet, but they can't. One of the main constricting factors is the, the lack of charging infrastructure in some circumstances. So whilst we have thousands of charge points across Australia, if you look at specific areas, there are some gaps in our network that mean it's very hard from an operational perspective for some businesses to move to EVs. And so for us and our existing fleet business, it's working closely with those customers, understanding their plans, helping them plan an infrastructure deployment plan, whether it be through BP Pulse public charging network or depot charging as well. And that involves the, the sale and, and installation of charging equipment at depots for back-to-base charging. So more charging stations is going to be music to most people's ears listening to this, right? So, but, but getting people to them, especially when an EV can be charged anywhere with a socket, might make people think that the investment maybe in some people's eyes isn't isn't worthwhile. So so what are you guys doing to make your charges kind of more attractive in that sense then? You know, I mean, uh, petrol stations, for example, offer food and other services and, and, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're quite clear that the most convenient place to charge will be in the home. If you have a place to charge, if you have the means to have a off-street parking and a, and a charge point, that is the most convenient place to charge. I'm an electric vehicle driver. I'm lucky enough to have a garage with a PowerPoint, and that is convenient. But it's a slow charge, and it takes many, many hours to fill up the battery. So it's not always the most convenient in all occasions. And of course, that's when we need public charges to fill the gap. Mm. We think around half of the demand, again, looking out to 2050, will be met through through homes, but the rest we made up through public charging and, and depot charging and workplace charging. So they're not to be discounted. And in fact, they're the ones that consumers need most and businesses need most when they really critically need a charge. They're going to be relying a lot more on on public charges, and so that's why reliability and availability is so important. With regards to to our network and and making it attractive, the core tenets, as I mentioned before, is just to make sure the charger is is delivering what the customer needs. It's easy to use, it's fast, and it's reliable. But on top of that, there are many other things that we can do to make those charging stations and locations more attractive. To begin with, those 100 charge points that I referenced before are all installed at service stations. So naturally, we have all the things you would expect at service stations. We have food, coffee, we've got a customer service person who's there. But as we look to develop more charge points over time, it will be likely that you'll see diversification and and many more charge points at uh, shopping centres and car parks and various other locations. And that's where we as an industry and we at BP Pulse need to be clever about understanding 
from a customer's perspective, what do you really want to see at some of those locations? And some of the things we hear from customers are shelter. So if you're in a public car park and it's raining and windy, just a little bit of shelter goes a long way, as well as things to clean your car. You know, service stations has always given you wipes for your hands. It's given you various uh, cleaning implements to clean your windscreen. So those types of things are important as well. But obviously somewhere to, to recharge your body with food, coffee, drinks is really important as well. So I think as we diversify and move, um, in some cases, away from the traditional service station model, you'll see some more unique ways to provide customers with some of those amenities. We've talked a bit about destination charging, but how do you actually choose, aside from sort of at petrol stations, how do you decide where to put the next charger? It's a great question. We have to be led by the customer, led by drivers. So we split up broadly into two use cases. One is where charging is the customer or the driver's primary mission. That's the main thing they want to do. Anything else is secondary. We call that on the go. And generally that's on highways and main roads for longer road trips or when they just want an ultra fast charge, 10 minute dwell time and keep on moving. The second use case, as you mentioned, is destination. So, so that's where charging is a convenience. It's not a must have. So the customer's attending the shops or going to the movies and that's their primary mission. Secondary mission is to charge. When we look at that, first of all, we need to understand exactly where they want to charge. And we can also look at what the results tell us as we start to install charges and see where demand is higher than, than others. But we also need to factor in some of the other, I guess you'd call them infrastructure items. So things like where is their power availability in the grid, but also at the site and, and how does that service a particular car park or, or location on site, as well as is there space and, and what's the construction plan at that site? What's the master plan for that site? And how can we how can we work with that particular landlord so that we can efficiently deploy these charges at the right time and in the most cost-efficient way? PP Pulse announced fairly recently, I think it was the purchase of about $100 million worth of Tesla superchargers in the United States, wasn't it? And, and these guys can charge up to 250 kilowatts. So we don't have those in Australia yet, am I right? But obviously that's an indication that, that charging technology is going to be important in charging networks globally. What sort of things excite you about the future of, of charging tech as such? Yeah, that news is uh, hot off the press, Rusty, and it's very exciting for us to be able to be the first independent network that has access to this charging technology. Tesla has, you know, for a long time been a leading player in providing rapid, ultra-fast charging to their customers. And, and I'm sure, as you've seen, they're now opening up their own network to drivers of other vehicle manufacturers in some locations. That particular deal is is set up for the US. So you're quite right, Rusty. We don't have those charges yet here at BP Pulse in Australia. We'll see whether that changes in the future. But we we have a, a number of other leading charging equipment manufacturers that we're working with that deploy similar equipment and with similar charging speeds. So across the next 12 months, we'll likely deploy charging equipment that can charge up to 300 kilowatts in some circumstances. And that's going to be really important for those customers who have vehicles like some of the new Hyundai and Kia vehicles that have 800-volt battery technology and can charge at those higher charging speeds, as well as some of the trucks that we're seeing come on board with very large batteries who need faster charging speeds to, to reduce their charge time as well. Josh, probably worth tackling the whole idea of public infrastructure that might be needed to support all of this. What can you share there? So uh, we've done quite a bit of analysis about what the size of the future public charging network across Australia needs to look like if we're going to move at the rate we think we need to move at to hit net zero by 2050. Our analysis suggests that by 2030, we need somewhere around 30,000 public charge points. So that's a, quite a significant jump on the, on the 5,000 we were at the beginning of this year. 
And then by 2050, that's a long way away, but it's somewhere around 300,000 charge points. So hundreds of thousands of charge points, and that needs a lot of investment across the industry. And we're talking potentially tens of billions of dollars. So it's, a, it's an enormous challenge, really, but for us and I'm sure other uh, players across the industry, it's also an enormous opportunity. There've been lots of large infrastructure projects delivered over, uh, particularly over the last hundred years, and, and this one's no different. So for us, it's all about how do, we, how do we do it efficiently? How do we do it efficiently from a cost perspective, from a power perspective? And, and that's something that we're focusing on. And we can sort of break that down into two or three key areas. The first one would be focusing on the right locations. So we've spoken about locations before, but one of the, the things we're looking at is based on the 100 charge points we've deployed over the past year, there's quite a significant variability in demand, variability in utilization across those locations. And so just as an example, in metro urban locations, we tend to see demand that's somewhere around 30% higher than the non-metro and urban locations. The second thing is around charging speed and choosing the right charging speed that matches the driver need. And probably the best example I could think of this is in some CBD car parking locations, sometimes ultra-fast chargers are installed for customers and, and drivers who are maybe spending eight hours in that car park because they're going to the office and spending a day there. And generally, if that's the, the customer that's using that, that charging equipment, that's a, a bit of a wasted asset uh, because the vehicle will be charged in 20 or 30 minutes and then the vehicle will be sitting there idle for, for seven or eight hours. So that's a wasted asset in that scenario and that's why it's really important to choose the right charging speed to match the customer need. And then the third one would be, how do we as an industry leverage the scale of installations? And for us, this brings up the concept of what we call charging gigahubs. And these are very, very large scale charging locations. There was a great example that, that was uh, announced and launched a couple of months ago in Birmingham in the UK, which has 180 charge points. Many of them are, are ultra fast chargers and it provides quite significant cost savings on a per charge point basis. Consolidates a lot of the power, the construction and infrastructure costs in one project. And for customers, provides a really great service if one charge is down, that's not a worry at all. It provides great redundancy that you've got lots of different charging base available. So those types of large-scale charging hub projects are something that we're really looking to for the future to maximise efficiency and to deploy charge points at the lowest cost possible. Josh, before we let you go, maybe you might be able to comment on this, but there's been that news about the, the memorandum of understanding between your rival in Ampol, Pacific Energy, Hyundai, Toyota, you know, around this whole notion of, of hydrogen and to establish fuel cell charging stations on that path. Is there any talk about that with BP Pulse? What can you share on, on, on that side? So BP Pulse's uh, remit is 100% EV charging. So that, that's our focus in our team. Having said that, as I mentioned mm-hmm. before, one of, our, one of BP's uh, growth engines is hydrogen. And so we've got a number of different hydrogen projects in operation and in planning across Australia. So we opened one of Australia's first hydrogen refuelling facilities up at the BP Port of Brisbane truck stop up in Queensland uh, just a few months ago. And that's one of Australia's, as I mentioned, first hydrogen refuelers. It's refuelling a bunch of Hyundai Nexos, as I understand, that are being run by the Queensland government. And that's something that I think BP, as well as the industry, is continuing to test. What's the financial viability of hydrogen refuelling stations? How does it work for passenger vehicles versus trucks? As a general consensus, we think that the larger the vehicle, the longer the longer the distance travelled, the more suited it is to hydrogen. And if you look at the number of hydrogen passenger vehicles on the road versus the number of battery electric vehicles on the road in Australia at the moment, quite a significant difference. Over 100,000 battery electric vehicles, I think we're probably in the hundreds. 
the hydrogen fuel cell. So it seems like that race is probably being won by battery electric. But I think larger trucks, that race is still well and truly underway. And it will be interesting to see the winner. And it will really depend on viability and, and what suits commercial operators the most with regards to cost and operational efficiency. Just as you did at the EV show with some of the addresses to the audience here, the great questions that it inspired from the audience, you've been terrific today. Thank you very much for coming into the studio and for sharing all sorts of aspects of this with us today. No problems. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. Listener Mailbox. Let's have a little look at some listener mail. Now, you can... DM us on socials. You can email in by going to the Electric Vehicle Hub and you can find all sorts of great information there on the Car Sales Electric Vehicle Hub. We'd love your your questions around this subject. And to be fair, we don't always know the answers, but we'll endeavour to go finding them for you. We're all, some of us are all new to this space. So here's one that's come through from Janine in Orange, New South Wales. And she says, hey guys, I, I live obviously in uh, in regional New South Wales and I've been thinking about an EV for a while. And I, I think the essence of this question is more about, okay, I'm in a regional area. Is that a good idea? What's the charging infrastructure like there? And is it is it up to date and, and so yeah. on. And it's probably fair to say that there is a bit of a them and us around people that live in regional areas mm. com- compared to sort of city dwellers because it, it is different depending on where you live and depending how much you drive. So mm. most new EVs have a pretty good range. So orange to where would she be driving? Bathurst? Bathurst. I mean, that's a, that's a bigger uh, or, or a, a um, perhaps a, a bigger regional city, so to speak. And that's not that far, is it? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're looking at a full charge will give you somewhere between, say, 400 to 600 kilometres. Mm. That's pretty good range. So you don't need to be topping up every day. So, you know, you could drive from Orange to Sydney. Yeah, I mean, that's what are we talking there? I think it's about 250 k's from Orange to Sydney. And the example you gave a minute ago, Orange to Bathurst, that's only about 50 from memory. So, I mean, you'd easily go Orange, Bathurst and back again, put your EV back in the garage and still have plenty of charge. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the one really important thing that we like to explain to people is understand your driving habits, mm. understand how many kilometres you drive in a week and and plan it because for the most part, you probably don't drive as far as you think you do. Okay, yeah. Or yeah. if you know your schedule, then you can plan for that. Yep. And Janine, if you were driving to Sydney in the example that Nadine gave before, there's lots of places to stop and charge along the way to to make sure that you were, you know, back at a reasonable level of charge for the return journey to, uh, to Orange there. If Janine was contemplating a secondhand car. Probably the key thing that we've learned through season one is get the battery checked, understand what that looks like, depending upon the model of car in question, and then the real range of that secondhand car is like. It's not unlike a a normal car. You would get it checked over before you bought it, so do the same for an EV. So there you go, Janine. Hope that answers your question for you. Keep those emails and DMs coming. Really simple way to go about it. Podcast at carsales.com.au. So on the topic of destination charging, when I think about destinations, I think about shopping centres. Today, we've got Jason Temby from Vicinity Centres who own things like Chadston Shopping Centre, Chatswood Chase in New South Wales, but 30 other locations as well. They have recently installed rapid DC charging and AC slower charging hub at Chaddy. So we've got Jason Temby on the line to talk to us. So Jason, maybe first talk to us about Chadston in general, because it's not just a shopping centre, it's already a a destination and it's made its name as a destination, hasn't it? 
Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, Chatsum, the fashion capital. It's truly a world-class integrated lifestyle destination and we host over 500 local and international retailers, a 250-room luxury hotel and over 30,000 square metres of commercial office space. So that kind of leads us to investing in EV charges. That was sort of the the next logical step in the story. Tell, Tell us about that. Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, the next step on our destination with vicinity having over 60 uh, shopping centres across Australia and 65% of Australia's population living within 30 minutes of our doors makes it a perfect asset portfolio for a charging network. Electric vehicles really, you know, form a key part of our integrated energy strategy and sustainability objectives. You know, this was a no-brainer for ourselves. You've partnered with someone in this process, haven't you? So, so what kind of response have you had? Tell us about the partnership. And the charges are all 100% powered by renewable sources or energy, aren't they? Yeah, that's correct. You know, currently we've deployed a range of EV charging solutions across our portfolio from 15 120 kilowatt DC units to 28 7 kilowatt AC charges. And we're currently looking to deploy an additional 10 DC units this financial year as part of the partnership with ONGI and made possible through the Arena Future Fuels program. In regards to partnerships, you know, Engie are investing time and resource into alternative power and their mission is to lead zero carbon transition in Australia, which neatly aligns with vicinity's own sustainability strategy. We also have other community partnerships with Horizon Power, who have installed a DC charging unit at our Caratha shopping centre and TAS Highways at our Northgate shopping centre in Tasmania. Jason, what are you seeing in terms of, are there any sort of patterns for shoppers? I know depending on what you visit Chadston for, you could be there for 10 minutes or 10 hours. So what are you seeing? Are people going at certain times? Are they embracing the apps? Do they charge and then go and move their car when it's when it's topped up? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's uh, quite interesting. I mean, it's been a really encouraging response from our customers so far. And as you know, EV sales are growing year on year. Probably the main feedback, though, has been convenience of being able to charge your car while you're in the cinema, doing your grocery shopping or going for a meal. And having a a charging network at a shopping centre means customers can integrate their charging, their vehicles with their daily lives. So it's all about convenience for us. And to your point about, um, you know, from a renewable source, the energy supply for the charges leverages from vicinities solar program across the assets and vicinity is currently deployed you know 33 megawatts of solar capacity across 22 centers and chadson itself has a solar energy system on top of the newly built car park and rooftops producing 2736 megawatt hours of energy a year so it's really the next step in um, from our solar program and our integrated energy strategy to deploy the ev charges and provide the convenience for our shoppers we've seen great take up in uh, people buying more and more of these vehicles in in terms of vehicle sales figures over the past year. Are you seeing people using the charges, you know, outside shopping hours, for example? We see a, a wide range. So, you know, the typical shopper will use them during the day, but we also seeing across our portfolio of charging the um, usage at all, all times of the day. We've got some shopping centres where they're using them at midnight. We've got usages. You know, on average, you know, the time per charge we see in our centres is around 39 minutes per charge and around 28 kilowatt hours of energy. 
To give you some context, during the month of September, we had around 3,555 charge sessions across our um, portfolio of EV charges. So it really does range on the time and obviously the offering, given they're quite unique in our shopping centres where we have cinemas, dining precincts and new general shopping. So the, the timing does range. Yeah, which brings me to my next question. You said $21 million a year. That's a, that's a lot of people <laughs> coming through there. But So how important is that to ensure that charges are installed in the places where people are already going, where they're already frequenting rather than having to go to a purpose-built charging station? So how important is that for people? Yeah, the benefits of integrating charges, you know, in, in the location. So when we talk about convenience, it's not about having the charges at the first car park at the entrance doorways. You know, there's a lot of um, research that goes into the location, but it's also about the convenience factor as well. You know, and what we're looking to do and the benefits of the EV charges within our shopping centres is integrating the charges more into the driver's lifestyles so that, you know, when they're at the shopping centre while they're at the cinema, as I mentioned, doing their weekly grocery shop or grabbing a coffee, they can integrate charging as part of their daily journey and installing, you know, EV charges benefits both the consumer by providing the ultimate convenience and our retailers as well by having a network of charges will bring new customers to the centre, allowing retailers to make new connections at the same time. So there's a real balance that we're looking for, you know, around that convenience factor and integrating into their daily journey. And we've only really spoken about Chadston in Victoria, but vicinity have facilities throughout Australia. So this is something you're doing, you know, throughout the whole country, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. You know, we're looking right across our portfolio. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we've got, you know, 15, 120 kilowatt DC units and 28, 7 kilowatts. Uh, and we're looking to deploy an additional 10. So we've got them right across our portfolio, as I mentioned earlier, from, you know, Caratha up in uh, Western Australia down to Tasmania and then across the eastern eastern seaboard in South Australia as well. I feel like someone like me, there's probably no reason to ever leave Chester, to be honest. <laughs> we said, I can charge, I can yeah. stay in the hotel, I can eat at some great restaurants, do uh, some retail Jason. therapy. Jason, you have it won't take much arm twisting for my yeah. colleague here to visit Chadston or any of the, the others in the network. Thank you for coming on the pod and uh, sharing about the fact that there is just now even more incentive for her to go there. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the pod today. Thank you very much for having me. That is it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love you to rate and review the podcast as well. Send us a message if you would like to come on as we would like to meet more EVs on the pod. Bye for now. Listener.